0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hi, everyone. It's Julie. Thanks for tuning in. Today, you will hear from our first international guest, Eugene Nyundi, all the way from Nairobi, Kenya, in East Africa. Eugene is known as the Rum Bishop and is committed to training and developing content for raising awareness of rum in and around Africa. Eugene also shares his most recent passions, wellness and long-term sustainability through his botanical farm. Sit back, grab your favorite African rum cocktail, and get inspired. Eugene.
1: Hello. Thanks for this. This is a great opportunity. I have to say, this is the first of many. I actually saw what you guys were doing and I was super excited about it. And I was like, I want to be part of this.
0: Well, I appreciate you reaching out and telling us that you want to be on Served Up, that you have a story to tell. So here you are, all the way in Africa. It is three o'clock in the afternoon here in. Miami uh, where I'm at what time is it there where you're at
1: it's 11:18 p.m so technically most people are sleeping I am the only one who's not sleeping
0: okay well that's great because I'm usually asleep by 11 p.m so I'm (laughs) glad (laughs) I'm glad this is actually the time when
1: most of us just go out and, and do our zoom sessions so this is like me on a lot
0: yeah, this is the time you connect, right? If you're, yes, if you're Yes, half with of you, you are
1: across the world, so which means during the day I was spending time with the locals, and then now this is the time I'm spending
0: with Yao. Okay, so that means you're working like 24 hours around the clock when. And you then sleep. I
1: actually then I then I sleep in the morning, so like around five six, I sleep from six to ten p.m. and then uh, ten a.m. and then I wake up, have a bit of coffee, and then you know, start of my day.
0: Oh, very good, so that works for you. It does. This international world that we live in, right? Crossing oceans, uh, no problem. And the
1: global village is becoming smaller and smaller as uh, time goes by.
0: Yep. So tell us, Eugene, I want to know all about you, where you're from. All I know right now is that you live in Kenya, you're doing a lot of work to bring up the the bar scene and the culture of uh, hospitality in Africa to the world. Tell me all about it. I want to know about you, where you're from, your family, give it to us all.
1: To start you off, I was born in Kenya, you know,
0: so like most of people, I I,
1: I grew up watching Gordon Ramsay and uh, the likes of, uh, you know, all these great admiring chefs. And I was like, you know what, it was never in my back of my mind that I wanted to be a chef or anything. It was just like, it was there. Then um, I started learning how to play with food when I was young and sooner or later I discovered that, you know what, food isn't that bad after all. So, you know, like I would go out and eat and try to critique uh, different restaurants and try to see the different ingredients. And that brought me to a space where when I got into college, I had the opportunity to be part of uh, the cake uh, cake festival, which is like a big thing. here. Yeah. They do uh, gather a lot of different bakers and they try to raise funds for kids in high school and primary school and, and also to bring awareness that the baking platform is actually growing. And then that's where I realized, you know, this is not a bad career after all, so It is on that premise that I found myself now heading into the kitchen as a demi-chef and then I eventually ended up as an executive sous-chef at
0: Elewana where
1: I was basically creating the menus and just trying to get this new menu up online.
0: That's incredible. So I know I know that's just the beginning of the story, but I want to take a minute and tell me a little bit about the baking and the pastry. Like what kind of cakes are you making? Because I know that's very particular, different parts of the world. Like, you know, my mom, my family's from Korea. So our cakes are very different. And then the Latin cakes. So what kind of cakes were you making? Were you so interestingly,
1: like the Black Forest and the White Forest has always been a standard uh, um, amazing cake to most bakers here but then when we started out the cake festival the idea was to expose people to more than just black forest and white forest so it's how do you uh, develop cakes around different flavors and so it gave me a chance to see bakers do stuff with zucchini with carrots with sweet potatoes you and maize flour it was at first it was awkward but the more I got used to seeing different bakers do that then the more I felt it's actually okay. Cause then when I go back into the hotel industry and you're trying to make desserts for people with different health issues, then that comes up because you have people who have gluten issues and you're like, how am I gonna make a cake with bean flour or rice flour? And you you know, kinda now it actually became interesting because it was now basically taking what you learned from what other bakers were doing into the kitchen and trying to use it to highlight an ingredient.
0: That's incredible. And so you mentioned you were interested in in food as a young kid. So did you have a big family? Who did who was the cook in your family? And how did how did you get exposed to that?
1: Uh, my mom, mom was a cook in the family. She she used to like how to cook. Uh, I guess the first time I actually tried to do something was try to recreate uh, rice cereals. I, in my mind, I was like, rice cereals is just milk and sugar. So I remember this time when I was a kid, I did rice, milk, and sugar, and then I boiled the rice. And then I was like, in fact, like she was, she was shocked, like, what the hell am I doing with rice? I guess that from that experience, it was like, she got me my first cookbook, which I practically used for like five or six years of my life. And then I got into a space where by now I started uh, getting more books to read about food and, you know, like different ingredients and different cuisines. And then I guess that's where the journey began because now even on a daily basis, every Sunday I have to make a dish either for mom or dad or for my small sister or my brother, Whether it be like, if there's meat in the house, please, can you just do something? And by now what's weird now is that the older they get, the, the more hesitant they are on the spices. And uh, and they're like, can you just make a simple meal? Forget all the culinary stuff you learned in school and just give us something simple. And I'm like, okay, fine. So yeah. it's taking all that and now we're making it. So simple. Making
0: like, it. Poor- <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. And, and sometimes because that's kind of that comfort food, right? Like yeah, you comfort, just want... Yeah. And what what is the type of food that your family likes, and and that kind of comfort food that they want you to cook for them?
1: Typically, African comfort food is, I mean, simple veggies, simple steak, nothing fancy, you know, like just salt and pepper. That's it. And I'm like, okay, fine, that is okay. But then again, I I think it it takes a long time before that mentality of what you used to get out, and sometimes accepting that people just want simple food is. It's strenuous, like something as simple as steak that I I was so used to having it at medium rare. I mean, you find people still wanting it at well done, and I'm like, I'm horrified, but you know, I have to accept that people's tastes are different, preferences are different and I have to be like, it's okay, it's okay. Like if people love what they love and be okay with it, don't fuss about it.
0: Yes, I feel you. I'm very particular about salmon, red salmon, but I like it well done. And the sh- they always give me the horrible look when I say, please, I like it crispy, well done. And they're like, oh, my God. Okay. They're like
1: that. They- Mommy's always like typically like if especially when I'm doing steak, she's like, can you make it well done? Like white, like white in the center. I'm like, OK,
0: fine. <laughs> white in the center. That's extra well done. That's funny. And they're like, extra well done. Make it dry. I'm like, OK, fine. That's great. So you, you know, you start baking and then becoming an executive chef. Where was that local within your within your community where you live, or did you have to travel out? What was that? Uh, so I,
1: like? I, I just, I don't know. If- because I liked uh, having a conversation with different people in the industry, I found myself going into a hotel that was part of a group of hotels and it gave me the opportunity to travel into the game lodges. So the setup of uh, the game lodges was like the food is the same, but because the ingredients, ingredients were vary depending on where you were, then you had to learn how to adapt to the situation. So you'll find that the ingredients are typically either Italian-based or um, Asian-based, but you still have to know how do you make use of ingredients when you don't have a cooler or a fridge because you are in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's not in the city. And when you come back in the city, it's very different because then in the city, you have all these fresh ingredients, but in the game lodges, you just have what you have, you know, and some of these ingredients were supposed to stay like one month or two months before you get the next shipment. So.
0: That's wonderful and and you just made me have a visual because you know I mentioned to you earlier i 've spent some time in South Africa and all of our time uh, because my husband is from there, and we have family there. We spend all of our time in Kruger at the game lodges that 's where we like to be right so yeah. um, I always joke with him in the beginning, he would take me to the game lodge now we do the self catering you know because yeah. it 's so expensive the game lodges, but it 's such an amazing, fascinating experience and there's always incredible cuisine and the hospitality is bar none.
1: I think for me, what I really missed the most about the Game lodges was the fact that, you know, you wake up and see like wild animals in the morning. But now, like if you're in the city, you don't get to see that as much as possible. You don't even get to enjoy the fresh air that was there. Like, I remember that the fact that between the Game Lodge and the main, the nearest town, it was like two hours away. So it would be like, it'll be a total drive. Mm-hmm. a drive experience and i and I, I honestly miss that experience because then you get into the city and you've been away for three or four months you've not heard the city of the, the noise of the city and you come back and it it's actually like a strange new sound because it was it wasn't there like you wake up with the different type of music or different type of noise that was just purely natural
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's something so special. And I think that's one thing that I hold so close to my heart with Africa is that you realize how small you are in the world when you're out there in these parks and um, and waking up so early in the morning to go on an early game drive and having your little coffee and what are those, gosh, a what are the canopies, yes. like the peanuts, the peanuts, canapes, and, the peanuts and what what is the the bars, the cookies, the there was beef
1: jerky or what you call a beef bouillon? Uh, what's up uh, in South what? Africa? They call it uh, a
0: no. The, yes, that they have the biltong and stuff, but they biltong, also yeah, have... biltongs are amazing. Biltong. Yes, The
1: biltongs <laughs> are amazing. It's like the best type of beef jerky out there. Yes. I don't even know if we don't do that.
0: It's amazing. And then they do the, the granola bars. Um, yeah, the, the granola bars. Yeah. yeah like we, we will make that in-house,
1: especially like in, uh, in the setup of the hotel. You learn how to make the granola bars in-house, the biltongs in-house, because we are surrounded by, thank God we were surrounded by the Maasai. So typically we'll get like fresh good meat that was uh, was raised, you know, with all this, um interest in medicinal plants that were natural. So when you when you slaughter the goats, you typically now have to make your your cattle made from scratch, you know, all the way from how to slaughter it uh, to how to prepare it for the long seasons and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's that's incredible. So you you get that in the morning, you got like you said, you go out on your drive all day, you come back, you relax, you take naps, it's so peaceful. And then you I go mean, out for the day.
1: For the visitors, yes, they will have. Yes. The things, but like for the chefs, I don't think we will have the time. Like we were busy. I just, because I think one of, the, one of my greatest experiences was when we had to do a guest shift for 140 people and they were doing like a seven-course menu. That yeah. was like three days of nonstop work. I was like, by the time I was done, I was like, you know what? I think I've had enough of all this, you know, just so, you know, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs>
0: right it is something you realize, else you
1: like the ingredients you had planned for if you were in the city they were easy to get so meaning that if you were in the game lodge, you had to like prepare two weeks in advance so like you had to know i needed this for the entire period just in case something happens you know
0: no, it's I could imagine because everybody eats together. It's a big part of the culture, right? You come back, you get your, your share, you know, for the guests, right? You get they yeah. get their sherry when they come back from their drive and then everybody gets ready for the dinner in the like the bomba, right? Is that yeah. similar um, to the game lodges up, up north? I mean, it's it's similar. We have the the fire competes where people will
1: just like um, so gather around, and then you have the massage do the the music, the dance, and then we'll have like a bushfire roast. Whereby, so like for the chefs, we needed to make the roast as early as possible. So dinner will start at seven, meaning that by six thirty, half of the dinner items should have been done. Mm-hmm. You no, know? which means you have this routine where you know by six thirty you. Every meal that needs to be done, needs to be done. Apart from the desserts, which will be like 7.30-ish that you can play around. And then you'll wake up very early around 4.30 and by five you're in the kitchen just doing your prep for breakfast, which was, you know, like standard bacon and all that. It was just, and making fresh muffins in the morning.
0: Well, I I can tell you there's nothing like an African breakfast. I mean, it for me, it's one of the best meals of the day. It's kind of the, the experience of breakfast is so special because you get all your fresh juices out, no matter where you're at, right? Whether you're at home or out every, but takes breakfast so seriously. And you, you, like you said, the fresh muffins and the fresh bread and it's really special. Especially
1: the desert fruits. So like if you're in the lodges, so like the typical local fruits that you get, so like we have uh, cactus, um, I don't know what you guys call it, like, but the red cactus that has a fruit, with a spiny, it's actually also in Mexico, so I don't know what. Dra-
0: dragon fruit? Is that dragon fruit? It's, maybe? it's,
1: it's, 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 a, it's in the cactus family, so it's a, it's a red, it's a red fruit that has a lot of thorns, so we had to literally like, um, every time you get the fruit, you actually had to peel off, um, the thorns and stuff like that, make juice from it, right? So you can imagine how having to harvest start every morning because literally you harvest that and then you make the juice for the entire day. So you either make the juice or you either make the ice cream or the and, um for the entire season or the entire week, depending on what sorbets you're having.
0: Yeah, and everything's made fresh. And everything was
1: made fresh. So basically, Mm -hmm. it's just the local food. So we, even how we were writing the menu is that we needed to write the menu based on what was in season. So that was also what was making the different experiences of the lodges different. Because when you went to the lodges, not all fruits are available in the same region, You know, depending on where you are.
0: Yeah, so you have to get to know the seasonality and and the produce of that specific area really quickly. Yeah. That's incredible. So, you know, from there, working in the game lodge, what, where, where did your life lead you from there? Because you know, I know, I know you've done all kinds of stuff, and it's incredible to hear your journey.
1: So, I after that, I met a friend of mine who was a portfolio manager for Bacardi, and um, so I never really thought about the drinks experience as something that I would focus on. So he introduced me with a simple thing like the daiquiri the daiquiri was the f- first simple cocktail i had and i was like okay fine this is interesting you know just like everything else i'd taken in life i would always want to be at the best of what i did so i literally just went and studied books around this particular category and i found that you know in the of ways i like this category because this category can essentially shape the future of africa you know so a friend of mine who was the CEO of ARG now, which is the African Ram Girls, she was like, you know, you need to talk more about Ram because we produce sugarcane in Africa, but there's not a lot that goes out of Africa that is sugarcane based. And out of that was a frustration and the desire to actually push for the producers in Africa. And that's where the conversation actually began. And um, it was for me, something that I felt like we needed to talk about because the future has always been Africa in terms of where this industry could possibly go, you know, because most of the time we tend to import a lot of stuff, but we forget that Africa has its own products. And it's high time that people now start looking at Africa as a major, as a major player in the categories of the industry. And talking about that, I mean, I'm super stoked that uh, two, actually two rums from Africa took up uh, the awards this last, actually last night. Uh, MOBA from South Africa and New Grove from Mauritius. Wow, that is good. That that's is like incredible. Super I would like, yeah, that, that's what we'll be fighting for. So.
0: so tell me again, the, the name of the two rums.
1: There's MOBA, which is MOBA? from South Africa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we have New Grove, which is like the oldest um, classified rum that is continental Africa that won the award last night. So I would like, that is good. You know, something that we can talk about but that's just to say that africa is actually coming up and it's high time that people start paying attention to what africa is doing
0: that's that's really great news to hear and i think you know the work that you're doing to really put africa on the map on uh, with a spirit category absolutely makes so much sense you know with all the sugarcane that's grown there on amazing soil ground terroir um and i think you know, and I've, and I've heard your other podcasts that you were on and, you know, did a little research. And I know that a lot of it too, is people taking the chance and investing in the country, in these, in these small farms. Yeah. And like producers. I, I, I,
1: I'm, a, I'm a big believer that it's high time that people start investing in Africa, in the drinks category, because we are lucky to have the ingredients here. We are lucky to have the, the young people, the young population here that is yearning to learn more about this and that is yearning to get into this industry and make it more professional. And because um, thank God the, Europe and America have this opportunity to bring that knowledge and experience from the long years of doing this into Africa, that means that you have a better way to make things better. For Africa, in terms of defining what this could be, and so when you talk about Black history and uh, especially this period, I look at how entrepreneurs can look at this industry and shape, you know, just what the the industry could be for Africa because we have the ingredients, or we just require are people who are willing to invest and set up places across Africa that can make exceptional products because that is already happening. It's just saying that we needed that push or in, in terms of training, in terms of the capital intensive nature of what the drinks industry could be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I I agree with you hundred percent. You know, I think Africa provides so much more than just a place to visit, you know, and a and a yeah. place to, of course, like enjoying the game there and, and the tourism is incredible, nowhere else in the world, but there's a lot to offer as far as um, a commodity, you know, when I started thinking it, and I was actually talking to my husband, and your your nickname or your name is, you know, the rum bishop, right? And yeah. and I don't think people would naturally think of rum and Africa, right? You always think of the Caribbean or or these other places. But then he did say, but we do have a cane liquor that we make, you know, yeah. and that that everybody drinks. Made...
1: So fun fun fact is that In Africa, cane liquor or cane spirit has been made for years. It's just that we have never really gone into the stage whereby people could age the product, Mm -hmm. you know, because people just like make stuff and consume it like that. So, and that's where now entrepreneurs can take charge of and actually exploit because that, that's, that's an opportunity to say, you know what? It's already been done here. So can we just make it much better, you know, in terms of where we go from now?
0: Yeah, like there's this long history and culture of the base spirit and yeah. making the and distilling the the sugar cane. And now it's about now how do we bring it to life and and do the different aging processes and all that innovative stuff. And you know, you make a great point. And, and it's the same thing that happened um actually in Italy with with the Italian wine, right? I mean, yeah. Italy was making wine forever, and then they started adopting some of the techniques from France and from the US and all of a sudden they became a world player for wine because yes. they were able to make it that much better.
1: And so that's where the future is is essentially in, in the entrepreneurship sector of the industry here. You know like I I would want to see more people take the risk and just do it because then again we have the temperature to age things way much more faster than in the Caribbean. So why would you not consider the agent factor here better? So already that's a plus.
0: Yeah. No. Oh, absolutely. So that is your, that's your mission right now, right? So you're advocating. I mean, that, that, that,
1: that, that's what I will advocate. But also um, if we look at uh, the COVID um, situation, it uh, made me realize a couple of things. Number one, um, this industry is so disconnected with the farmers. And I am I have to say I'm a i love farming i i've always believed that farming should be at the core of hospitality because they are the essential essential primary producers so i i started a botanical farm late i mean early last year and it was based out of that that i felt like we need to look at health from a different perspective we need to see who can grow more botanicals and use those botanicals as a platform for making drinks better through flavor, through adding complexity, but also making our health better. I mean, our health better. So I started growing different botanicals, but then in the process, I also learned that because we don't get much seedlings of these different botanicals, I have to buy seedlings, which is pretty damn expensive. But then again, someone has to do it from the beginning. like, Someone has to start the journey, but the idea behind it was that if we can put food and medicine in front of um, the industry professionals, then we can be sure that the consumers will accept that and take that and run with it because then we are the, we are at the forefront of that, which also brings out this perspective that mental health or wellness is not just something that we should just talk about, it's something we should embrace for what we eat to who we are as people, because then again, we are, we can only be as good as where our food source comes from and who we are as people, you know, like that yeah. should be important.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think that, that, you know, COVID has made it, it's really humanized all of us. Right. And and we start yes. really paying attention to what we put in our body, what's going to help us. I, I know a few people that have gotten COVID and, but it wasn't as extreme. And they said that their, their prescription wasn't even medicine. It was different herbs and different, you know, homeopathic things that even their doctors prescribed. And that was never the fact. I mean, in these modern times you get sick and they give you antibiotics and you know but covid that's not going to do anything right so everybody's yep. taking more so what kind of botanicals are you growing and how how big is your farm where is it
1: so the the farm is where now where i stay now is where the farm is pretty much and um i i started growing different types of meat and then i got into the three varieties of lavender and then i go into lemon verbena then i go into curry leaf bay leaf um we have what is artemisian they do the two different types of automation tarragon and now i'm for me it's just like the more stuff i can be able to get the more i'm willing to risk to put out on the farm and see if it grows because then again we are now experiencing a couple of shortages because of summer is just messing the entire farm not enough water um even the water is not doing a lot because with too much sun most plants are dying out and so now i'm having to tone down everything that i was doing so just trying to make sure that i can get through with just the basics um 'Cause I mean, I remember there was a time when there was a bit of rain, so there was a lot growing. But now because of this, it's just take a day at a time because then again, what do we have other than a day at a time?
0: Yes. Exactly. Yes. And and I personally don't have a green thumb, but I know how much work it takes to it, it maintain. I mean, I was
1: I wish I could go down and just tell you like I mean Considering that I wanna I'm, I'm doing organic farming, like down from the type of manure that I'm using to the type of pesticides I'm it means all down to learning how what 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 works with what. So that itself is a lot. But once you get the green thumb, it doesn't go away. It's like a bug that catches you and you wanna grow something almost every single day. So right now, now that I'm not growing, I feel awkward. I feel I'm missing something. It's just I shouldn't have gotten the green bag, but it's it's an addictive kind of thing. It's like once you get it it you want to do it for the rest of your life
0: well it's it's definitely a great habit to have, and you know I think having a botanical farm sounds incredible, but I know it's not easy and and that's just great that you're putting so much work so what what is the weather now? i mean you you are winter because you're no it's actually summer i don't I can't even call it
1: summer because the sun has gone down. Like if you were standing with me, the sun is just right on top of us. It's it's literally just burning stuff up. It's drying out everything. I would water like uh, the plants like twice in a day and it's still not enough. Like it's stressful. So I'm literally now transferring stuff into pots and just making sure that whatever can survive, let it survive uh, through the season. Because then again, the, the frustration came from the fact that people did a lot of deforestation. And so for me, my way of looking at reforestation is if we can get people in the industry to, you know, like focus on the things that are important. One, the fruits, the botanicals. If we can grow that, then the rest of the trees can grow, which means we not only provide food, we provide medicine, which is natural, which means everything is now down back to basics, you know, because that's where it all began know take time to appreciate those little things that make a big difference because that's the only way we can solve this big problems with small solutions one step at a time
0: absolutely and you know I we commend you for all the work that you're doing you know and really thinking about the the future and the long term impact of not just Africa but just humankind right and making sure that that we all have that mindset to to grow the things that are going to keep us healthy long-term. It is.
1: Long-term, it is important because someone has to do it. Like even the fact that uh, some of these trees may take like 10 or 15 years to grow, like the bay leaf. So I got a bay leaf seed lane and it takes like uh, five years to fully mature. So I'm like, you know what? It's not for me. I mean, I guess the greatest quote I ever learned was "Planted great leaders get to plant trees they never get to sit on. So when you think about it, we're literally planting trees that we may never get to see the fruits of, you know, like when you think about it, it's just, it is what it is.
0: That is a, that's a really great quote. Jeez, you've got your hands full, right? Do you ever get to enjoy time out with your friends and go to a, a bar? What is that like there in your, in your culture, going out to the, to the bar or having a cocktail or a daiquiri?
1: I do once in a, while, once in a, once in a while, but I mean, it's just, it's getting tiring. Honestly, like at this point, I'm just trying to save the farm. So much of me going out is me trying to educate more people about what's going on. Cause the more people grow these things, the easier it becomes for me to take the responsibility off my What started out as a personal belief, I feel like now people should take that mantle and look at it because you can have a kitchen garden. And if you want to have a kitchen garden, please feel free to ask me the questions you need to ask me, like whatever type of soil or manure, because I want to see more people do that. So it's such that one day I don't have to struggle to speak this message, you know, because once the message is out, it's out.
0: No, I can, I can see that trying to get out there and share with everybody all the work that you're doing and, and getting them to join you. That's got to be amazing. And big also the step.
1: fact that I just wanted to, like when I look at mindfulness, like I, I have to admit uh, Kami and Al-Rachel and a couple of other guys. I mean, there's so many people who are doing something around mindfulness. They just made me look at this from a very different perspective. I remember I was struggling with mindfulness and how to just, you know, like, cause we talk about it, but then again, unless you go through a depression phase and you go through this place where you don't even, you're not sure if this is what makes you happy anymore. And until when I started to do that, then I found myself again, cause I felt like I've been doing this for such a long time that I lost myself and I wanted to be a better person. So even going through this entire dry January and just, drain wellness around it. It was was an interesting space. To be honest, I felt like this is much better. This is what we need to focus on. We need to get people better because this industry only can get better if we make the people around us better.
0: I, I agree with you 100%. And I think the main reason we started Served Up is really to highlight this industry, right? The the hospitality industry in general is made up with so many very innovative and talented people like yourself that are doing things greater than themselves, right? And it's not just yeah. about your job right now. It's about how can you impact, you know, the broader community. So, you know, I think that's really great that you're doing that.
1: I mean, it, it remains the most important thing to leave the legacy behind that people can cannot touch, but rather can feel.
0: Yep. I like yeah. that. So what's next for you? You know, I mean, how, what's happening? Obviously COVID's impacted everybody around the world. Where are you guys at right now where you're at with COVID? I did see that alcohol sales were opened back up in Africa, but I don't know if that was just South Africa I mean,
1: even South Africa was having a couple of issues. I mean, there was a ban.
0: Yep, there was um, a ban. It but that's there was a not ban actually
1: generally just across the entire um continent. There was a ban. But uh different countries lifted the ban different at different times. But we have seen the closure of major places that um even I myself didn't think um we'll see the closure of. I was like, Wow, you know, this just means that um things are either gonna get tougher or whoever comes after this needs to rethink this whole strategy. So some of the strategies in place were people doing bottle cocktails and stuff like that. And I and I saw this especially with the influencers who were taking up this. and So it opened up a space for influencers to do this, but at the same time, uh, I think most of us missed um, this space of just being in a, communal area. And uh, when it opened up, it was very interesting to see how people just wanted to be together. But then again, the ban is still there, you know, like uh, it's until 10 p.m., you know, where you can go out until 10 p.m., then there's a cafe. you need to be back home by then. And if you're not, you need to have a letter um, that is issued by the government explaining where you have been.
0: And are they doing the places that are open? Are they doing the partial occupancy kind of similar to what they're doing here and I mean they're doing
1: the one point five meter distance the
0: partial mm-hmm. occupancy and
1: stuff like that, but then the prices of the menu virtual in the menu has gone slightly up just to cover the cost of uh, making it profitable for people to live or be sustainable but then the numbers of people who are employed have gone down. Mm-hmm. Which also explains why people can get into farming as a second option. Because yes, as chefs, we are bartenders, we are waiters, but then in the end of the day, we provide food, we supply food to clients. So I mean, if you could do that with just a recipe or a menu card, why can't you trust yourself or have enough guts to get and get up and dig and Start a farm, you know, like it's not that am Like if I did it, you too can do it. It's not, it's not rocket science.
0: I love that, oh. right? It's, it's I mean, it's just a manure
1: way. and water and seeds yeah. and a little bit of faith. I
0: think, a, <laughs> I think a lot of us could do that right now is go farm, right? Like get away. I, I know that's something that I want is to just be out in nature and, and get far away. And I think farming is absolutely a great solution for everything I mean. we're doing.
1: It is the only thing that uh, you can be sure that most of us are going to do because we get to feed the nation three times a day. It's the only guaranteed thing in life. You know, you get to see a doctor once, you get to see a farmer thrice through his food. So, yeah, get yourself some food, some seeds, plants. And we're here in case plants die, let us know. We'll share our tips, you know. Who knows along the way you learn that it's not the easiest. But then there's glory to it, mm-hmm. and no gods without glory,
0: yep. no glory without gods. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, well, you know, Eugene. It was so great to get to know you, and I think all that you're doing is incredible, and I think you've really helped me and and soon our listeners understand the importance of long term sustainability, uh mindfulness, and you know the opportunity of really this drink category in Africa, like you've really got my my brain thinking as well, so yeah. you know, keep up all that great work. I know we will. Maintain in contact. We want to know everything that's going on, and you know we want to be here to support you in any way we can. Because I think what you're doing is incredible, and the fact that we're able to meet oceans apart and be able to talk—it's—it's something very special.
1: It is very special. I can't wait to see you guys in Nairobi when uh, you guys can travel. Because I know there's—I mean, like I'm sure some of y'all can travel. So when you get the time and you want to come for safari feel free. Nairobi is welcome. Coffee is there. Tea is there. So I'm I'm here to show yes. you
0: around. Well, I <laughs> love that. And, you know, we, we are really anxious. We want to get back down, you know, our, my mother-in-law and our, my father-in-law are still there. They're getting older and, and we really want to get back and see them. So we're hoping that, you know,
1: you know, the best place to, re- to retire is in Africa, right? The yeah. Pizza. The, the fruits in the farm. I mean, what yeah. else beats away from the city life? Come on.
0: Exactly. Maybe I, we'll do an early retirement. Go buy a farm and and just farm all day. That sounds. join yeah. join
1: joiner. Yeah. Working soil.
0: That's incredible. incredible. <laughs> it's it's tempting. It's tempting. So we Please. wish you all the best. Thank you so Thanks much for joining us. And you know, we keep in touch. We've got all your information. So thank you so much. Definitely.
1: Just to let you know, I am, so a friend of mine, I don't know if you know him, Greg Benson from, um, what's his podcast called, um, him and Sotatiga run a podcast, right? So he, they opened up um, a GoFund page for the farm, whereby people can just, you know, if you feel you want to send seeds, donation and stuff like that, um, you know, you could send that. I, I don't know how to, to say yes. that.
0: Um, what is the, it called? What is the GoFundMe called?
1: Well, the, you the don't. You can, you can.
0: You could send the link.
1: Essentially, the farm, uh, because also what we are trying to do is pass that message to Tales of a Cocktail, because I'm actually writing a seminar around that, because I feel like we need to take this seriously. Sooner or later, someone needs to do this, and it's high time we started to do this. So.
0: We will absolutely do what we can through our network to get that out there. I think that's an incredible way to engage everybody and get the support that you're looking for. Because I think a lot of people will be very happy to, to contribute in some way. I
1: mean, it's a, it's, it's a list. I mean, plus people can now get to follow up and check out and learn. You know what? That This is not as bad as we think. You can actually get here. If I did it, you too can.
0: Yes, and we want to see, I want. I would love to be able to check in and see the pictures of, you know, once you get through this drought and see what's growing, you know, and see that lavender. Yeah, and- so
1: currently I have, uh, I just planted uh, jasmine, which mm. is amazing. Oh, I can tell you that I'm actually waiting to do a jasmine tincture when the flowers bloom. That is going to be like some super, you know, so fun fact, we don't get enough pictures here. So I think part of the reason why I actually started this was to actually show guys that, you know what, we can make our own bitters from the farm. So, yeah. Mm, That's a great idea.
0: Your own bitters. This was just an
1: inspiration to grow stuff that, you know what, in case you need to make bitters, come and pick all the different botanicals that are available in the um, farm and make your own bitters to your own liking.
0: Yeah, you could, you could supply all that. That's, that's incredible. I, I'm i really looking forward to that. I think you're gonna, I think you really have something going there. Thank you so much. And, you know, I wish all the best luck to you, your family, everybody, and, you know, we'll get through this COVID and, and we'll be talking again.
1: Thanks so much. Hakuna Matata, by the way. So yes, Hakuna Matata. in Africa.
0: All right. Take, take care, care, Eugene. God bless. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Killed the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!